1: Hi, this is Jonathan Frakes, Commander William T. Riker from Star Trek The Next Generation. And you are listening to Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life.
0: The Internet. The Final Frontier. These are the episodes of Comic Book Central. The ongoing mission to explore comic book movies and TV shows, to seek out creators of comic book adaptations, to boldly go where... I'll forget it. That's been done already, and done a lot better. Welcome, one and all, to Comic Book Central. I'm your host, Joe Stuber, and as you can probably tell by that opening... We've got some amazing guests lined up for today. And I'm sure all of you Trekkers and Trekkies out there are really going to love this one. From Star Trek, The Next Generation, Marina Sirtis and Jonathan Frakes are here today. Now, everyone knows Star Trek is a global phenomenon. Six television series, including an animated show, and 12 motion pictures have kept the various Starfleet crews flying for over 46 years. In that time, just about every major comic book publisher has added to these interstellar adventures. Starting with Gold Key Comics and the original series, Star Trek's four-color adventures have warped through Marvel, Malibu, Wildstorm, and currently IDW. But in the 80s and 90s, DC Comics was the home of the Enterprise Cruise, both the original series and Star Trek The Next Generation. There are tons of great stories out there, and they're really affordable. So if you're a Trek fan, you've got to get these books. Now, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and just a few months ago, I was really stoked to find out Marina Sirtis, counselor Deanna Troy herself, was making an appearance at the Steel City Con in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. It's just outside of Pittsburgh. Hey, it's one of my favorite conventions anyway. This was just added incentive for me to go. I had a chance to meet Marina there, and she was kind enough to sit down with me and talk Star Trek and some of the voiceover work she's been performing. Now, her schedule was way packed, so we didn't have a lot of time to talk, but we did have some fun chatting. Check this out first, and then my interview with Marina Sirtis. Born in London to Greek parents, Marina's exotic look and sound were the exact qualities Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry was looking for when casting for the crew of the Enterprise D. Roddenberry, however, did not have Marina in mind for the role of Deanna Troy. He was thinking more along the lines of security officer Maka Hernandez. Fortunately, that role was changed to Tasha Yar. Actress Denise Crosby joined the crew and led the security team, and Marina Sirtis was launched into stardom as the heart and soul of the crew, the half-Betazoid, half-human empath Deanna Troy.
4: Uh, Welcome to the show, Marina Sirtis. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, When can we expect to see the J.J. Abrams-directed The Rikers?
4: Uh, Don't hold your breath. (laughs) (laughs) I would say the short answer to that: um, it's not going to happen. We've gone, we've gone with the younger new cast now, and.
0: Well, what a fantastic idea that would be! I mean, even if you did sort of a reality show, oh, I don't do. Your I don't do reality. Oh,
4: okay, I don't do reality. Yeah, um, you and Jonathan Frakes together, the former partnership. You guys have adventures together. That would be great. Show. So we'd have to get Jonathan time off from directing because he's a big-time director now. He, and he direct never direct in front and back. I mean, he could just do both. Parts. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> you <laughs> you know, we project. need a fan campaign. We need a fan campaign date JJ with emails there we'll, you go <laughs> we'll start it now hey uh since this is a comic book themed podcast why don't we talk a little bit about your animation
0: uh work your voiceover work that you it seems you be, you're getting more into that now well, you started
4: with gargoyles back I did. in 90s late 90s I can't remember when it was 94 no, uh, to 97 okay thank you Mona yes and, uh, um they were all, they were fans of the show uh, of of TNG. Uh, which is why I think so many of us ended up on Gargoyles eventually. As, as... A lot of Star Trek cast yeah. members ended up there. Yeah. Now, did
0: your paths cross while you were doing it, or was it all just you in a studio?
4: No, no. The thing about Gargoyles, which was great, was that we did it like a radio play, so everyone was in the studio at the same time. Okay. Which was fantastic. It's much more fun than sitting in a, in a sound booth on your own. You've done both? I've done both, and I prefer the radio play concept.
0: Okay, well, I was going to ask, because you've also done voiceover work for Justice League. Right. Uh, recently, Queen Bee. Yes. Uh, so for comic books fans comic book and we do so but that. that's the
4: same people that did gargoyles
0: same director now what kind of energy how, how are you able to to work your energy differently when you're with a crew you're playing off the actors i mean is
4: that uh, for people wanting to get into voiceover work how, how does that work for you well for me it works better because for me acting is reacting and listening so if you've got actually someone saying the line like it's supposed to be said then you can react to that appropriately I think when you sit in a studio on your own, you've got the director reading the other lines to you, not an actor, um, and so basically you have to create a performance. Well, that you how do don't you do know. that then? You just do it and hope, and you know, you just hope for the best. Um, do you run around the studio, to get your energy up, or no, how do you... I don't. I don't run around. I'm not a method <laughs> actress. I don't have to work up a sweat to act. Um, but I just, you know, basically the thing that I find the most difficult is doing like the sound effects, you know. Um, one of the... grunts. Is it, grunts. Impact grunt is a very popular one on on gargoyles. Uh, okay. It was.
0: Uh, here's your direction. Give me an impact grunt. Give me three of them. Uh, 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 right. And how do you not feel silly doing that? Too? Well,
4: you do feel silly doing it, but everyone else is doing it too, so everyone feels silly doing it. But you know, the voice actors. I mean, I'm not a voice actor. I do accents. Voice actors do voices. I mean, we, we would have sometimes, when we were doing gargoyles, they'd say, we need one line, um, Scottish guy sounds like a dog. And three of the voice actors would put their hands up that they could do that, um, which I find incredible. I think they're so talented and so underrated into what, what they can do with their voices and all the different characters that they can do. Um, I basically do me with different accents. So um, I have to be honest. Voice acting is my least favorite form of acting, Um, but it's you know it's fun. It's fun, and you have to dress up. And you can go in your pajamas yes. and not wear makeup. Exactly.
0: You get to work along with Jonathan Frakes, uh, yes. your on-screen husband. Yes. Uh, did he ever? Since this is a comic book themed podcast, did he ever tell you about his secret background of going to
4: conventions in the seventies dressed as a superhero? He was. He was Captain America. Yes, he was. I have. I, had, I, know I had a that. picture here just in I case. Know you know that. Didn't... We knew that, and we and we teased him mercilessly about that. Um, of course, he couldn't put that outfit on now. He's gained a couple of pounds, but um, I found it hysterical that he would dress up as Captain America and do personal appearances. Uh, let's segue into to Star Trek then. Uh, in
0: the beginning, how did you first come to the role of Deanna Troy? And it wasn't necessarily that role
4: that you almost got, correct? No, I was auditioning originally for Tasha Yar, um, and, and I think Denise, Denise was auditioning for Troy. I'm not sure about that. I actually have never asked her. But um Maka Hernandez? She was Ma- supposed to be Marsha Hernandez. Marsha Hernandez. Marsha. Marsha. Marsha, or something like that. Okay. Or, you know. Um, How different would that have been? Well, it just would have been a different name. You know, I, I think, the, I mean, the reason that we were auditioning for each other's parts was because in the character description, Troy was supposed to be blonde, and Tasha was supposed to be dark. And so we got sent in for each other's roles. But then, when it came to the actual Performance and the character—they realised they kind of got it wrong—and then it doesn't matter which one's blonde and which one's a brunette. So um, and they switched me.
0: perfect timing for you
4: too. Yes, I was leaving. I my I, gone. I was gone. I got I actually was offered the job on the day that I was leaving to go back to England. Your visa I had run out. Well, my visa ran out the next day. I know. So for three weeks, I was an illegal immigrant. I was one of those illegal immigrants for three weeks. I know. I'm all right now because I'm a citizen. They can't throw me out. But um, I guess it's probably an obvious question. But then how did Gene Roddenberry change your life? Oh, goodness. Well, he changed my life by giving me that job, basically. Um, My life in a day changed 180 degrees. And so I went from being an absolutely penniless um, British actress that no one had heard of to being in a, a pop cultural iconic TV series. How crazy was that and did you feel the pressure
0: that first season? You're you're fo- you're rebooting Legends. Mhm. So, did you feel that at the time
4: or was oh, it yeah. just like we'll do we'll do do our best? No, we I mean, the fans were not happy that we were on. I mean, the fans were like really uh, quite resentful sometimes. My mother-in-law being one of them. Yes, see? So uh, she was. they were very happy with their original show and to watch it endlessly in reruns. They were not interested in a new Star Trek show. I think it took us pretty much about three years to win everybody over. Obviously not your mother-in-law, but uh, everybody else. She did. Oh, she's yeah. obsessed with Star eventually, Trek. Eventually, yeah. you yeah. win her over. But we did, it did t- took a while to win them over. But yes, there was a pressure, Um, Not so much when we were filming, when we started filming. um, It happened more coming into August because the show was gonna premiere in September and then we started getting all this attention. We had started shooting in June, so we had kind of two and a half months of just filming and having fun. And then we realized that we were doing something that everyone was gonna have an opinion about. And that's quite scary because um, I had never done in my life anything that was gonna get that much attention worked out. Thank goodness. I had a picture for the benefit of
0: our listeners. I have a picture here too from one of my favorite episodes. It's called Disaster. It, uh, you're familiar with it. Is this yes. the first
4: time Troy took the captain's chair? It was. I think the one and only time Troy co- took the cha- captain's chair on TV. Yeah.
0: This one ended better than the theatrical version of Troy taking
4: No, I didn't take the captain's chair. I took the helm and took crashed the, the ship helm and, right. twice. Um <laughs> You know, I have to be what, honest. What does that say? It ha- well, uh, let me just say this. That planet came out of nowhere, okay? <laughs> Not my fault. You get, was it a blind spot? It, you know, it was. It just, kept, you know, from nowhere, There suddenly there's this planet, and I can't avoid it. And um, that no one told me where the brakes were. <laughs>
0: Talking about comic books too. On this, uh, DC Comics had a huge run uh, with Star Trek: The Next Generation. A lot of different Star Trek. Did, how does that come to you with likeness rights and oh. things? I mean, do you have to deal with that stuff or not the somebody com- else? No,
4: not the comic book stuff. I've never. I. I don't have that power to approve my likeness. Because in a the comic comics book. are
0: dead on the images.
4: The comics are dead on. The. Uh, the other merchandising, not so much. Um, the dolls. I don't think they've ever got got it right with me, with the doll, with one of the action figures. Um, we look like we might be related, but it doesn't really look like me. But the comic books do a much better job. Yes.
0: Wrap us up a little bit here. Uh, any thoughts at all about cameos in the current Star Trek?
4: Listen, Is, I would. They may
0: talk to you. No, to this?
4: no one's talked to me about it. Um, I, I, of course, I would love to be in one of the new movies. Um, I, I think it would be great, um, purely because. I just love Star Trek now, you know. So to to still be involved in it in some way would be fantastic. But if it doesn't happen, I've had a pretty good run. Have we seen the last of Deanna Troy? I think we have.
0: What about an animated series? Can do an animated series.
4: I can't do it. Paramount would have to do it, or CBS, who owns Paramount now. I think I think I pretty much have to. It's been a long time since our show went off the air. I think I ha- we have to accept now that it's behind us and move on to other things and um like i said we had a really good run you played an empath for the better part of 18 years what am i feeling right now don't make me slap you <laughs> i was going
0: to say gratitude <laughs> i was going to say immense gratitude for having you join us oh, on the show well today. thank you and i was thinking so you've something been a comic totally book different conventions too long i
4: have i was thinking it was going to be something i'll funny. give you another
0: shot what am i thinking
4: uh it's time for me to wrap up <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you very much for having thank you for being on the show today so thank
1: much,
0: you well so. oh, my bad i should have guessed all those years of getting hit on by star trek fans have taken their toll poor marina sirtis <laughs> you know i was just trying a clever way to say thanks and all those nervous fanboys that hit on her Uh, They seem to have ruined the experience. But fear not, Marina Certes, Some of us just want to express our appreciation for your time and talent. Well, hopefully Marina's on-screen husband, Jonathan Frakes, doesn't think I'm a creepy stalker. Uh, That said, I did kind of nerd out when I first met Jonathan way back in April of 1993. It was one of my first gigs in television. I was interning at a local station as a videographer. It was myself, fellow intern Joe Willard, and reporter Ryan Brandt, We hit the road to State College, Pennsylvania to interview Jonathan. He was appearing at Schwab Auditorium in the Concert for Peace. Now, here's a blast from the past. This clip hasn't been heard anywhere in over 20 years.
2: Each week on Star Trek, The Next Generation, Jonathan Frakes as Commander William Riker goes where no one has gone before. Mr. Worf. Fire. But today, the actor returned to a familiar place, the Penn State campus. Born in Belfont and raised in Bethlehem, the 1974 PSU grad will be a guest performer in the Concert for Peace, Saturday at 8 p.m. in Schwab Auditorium. Jonathan and I have been trying to do this work together for a couple of years, and finally this year we're really pleased our schedules meshed, and he's here to, to be our guest performer tomorrow night. Inside the arts building where Jonathan Frake served his first tour of duty before beaming aboard the Enterprise, and he said that returning to his alma mater and seeing that old building has brought back a lot of memories.
3: I walked back into this arts building where I used to rehearse and do plays, and I felt as if I'd gone back 20 years. I felt like a student again. I felt like I should go out and check to see if I'd been cast in the next production. I was hoping I wasn't late for class. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not only is Frakes an established actor, but he's now becoming a respected Jane director, having directed some episodes of The Next Generation. What's your favorite episode you've directed?
3: I still have a soft spot for the first one. It's about Data's daughter, lovely Lal, what did, Todd. What, did, what did about
2: wisdom. the drumhead?
3: Drumhead was great. Gene Simmons, we were privileged to have a, a woman, an actress of that caliber, an Oscar nominee. And when she said, I brought down bigger men than you, Picard, all of us roared. I will expose you for what you are. I brought down bigger men than
2: you, To Talk about a local boy making good. Playmates has come out with a line of Star Trek action figures, including Commander Riker himself.
3: That's the most absurd part of all—a little action figure that so I see my friends drowning in the bathtubs. <laughs> <laughs>
2: What's next for Freyce? Well, he hopes to get into more directing. And through his success on Star Trek, the future appears awfully bright. In University Park, I'm Ryan Brandt, NewsWatch.
0: Yeah, when I met him, honestly, I went full nerd with my Star Trek T-shirt. I didn't even have a Next Generation T-shirt. I just had my Star Trek VI T-shirt. I also had my Commander Riker action figure. Honestly, I don't regret any of it for a second, though. I got to talk Trek with the big guy. He signed my Riker toy, and I have it right here in the lair. And as you heard in the clip, Jonathan was hoping for more directing gigs. And, man, did he get them. The most recent of which is the Thor The Dark World crossover episode on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We'll talk about that episode, also that mysterious teaser scene about Tahiti that he directed. Uh, Of course, we'll talk Star Trek and also Jonathan's voiceover work with his Star Trek castmates. Just a quick note... Uh, As you heard in the clip, Jonathan was born in Belfont, Pennsylvania, was raised in Bethlehem, graduated from Penn State. So the subject of the university does come up briefly. There are obviously a lot of raw emotions over what took place at Penn State. And I wanted to make sure that I included this part of the conversation in the interview just to give an insider's perspective on the feelings and issues that are still being resolved, that are still going to be resolved in the years to come. Uh, Jonathan and I talk about a lot in this interview, so let's get right to it. Here is my conversation with Jonathan Frakes. Well, joining me today is, well, someone well-known to Trekkers and Trekkies alike, but he's now recognized as an accomplished director, and he's part of the Marvel Universe. Jonathan Frakes, thank you for joining me here today on Comic Book Central.
1: The pleasure is mine, Joe.
0: Hey, we talked a little bit about this now. This uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You're now directed. You directed one of these episodes.
1: I did the Thor tie in episode where we found as guardian remnants in three parts of the world. I'm waiting to see if I get another. Marvel assignment, as the yeah. show has been picked <laughs> up for the back half of the season.
0: Yeah, it's called The Well, and uh, yeah, as yes. you mentioned, it's coming right out of Thor The Dark World. Did you know at the time that you were given the assignment to direct this that this was going to be part of the Marvel movie universe?
1: Yes, that was part of the plan. It was It was a November sweeps episode, and they had permission from Marvel, as obviously they would, because Marvel produces the show, to use clips from the trailer and everything except... <laughs> Anybody's face. <laughs> I know so it, saw, Yeah, the sh- the sh- so we saw came Chris in. Hemsworth from the chest <laughs> down. His CGI <laughs> part, right? Yeah, we saw all of his feet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's classic. So now I know everything in the Marvel universe is kept super secret. I know all these. So I'm going to keep this to a yes or no question. Do you know why Tahiti is such a magical place? Yes. Wow. Okay. That's all. That's, <laughs> I'm curious as to when you're directing these projects, if because obviously the, at the end the, the little post credit scene we have there, we have Agent Coulson, and we see him in Tahiti finally, getting a massage, getting a massage, and yeah, he What about asleep. the
1: Dollhouse throwback?
0: Yeah, well, tell what tell us what you know about just directing your your part of it. What what do you know about that whole sort of mystery that's going on and, and how I did can't you draw?
1: tell you anything, guy? <laughs> okay, I try. I'd have to give up one of my children.
0: <laughs> I
1: try. when you work at Marvel, when you work on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as a guest director, you're not even given a card key to get into the building. You have to buzz the door, and you're, you're the director of the show. You're
0: checked in at the gate.
1: First of all, you can barely get in the gate, <laughs> but when you get into the offices, the writers and the producers have little magnetic IDs wow. like a retinal scan. <laughs> and uh, as a guest director, you're not even given one because you may steal some of the ideas. It's like S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean,
0: it's like you're going into S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: It's astounding. Wow. it uh, so, okay. used to be like that. We used to, have our, we used to take ourselves that seriously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how, wh- how many years into the show till they finally said, ah,
1: I think it's, it was mostly the movies that, okay. uh, you know, watermarked scripts and uh, un-Xeroxable or reproducible pages in colors that would not scan. It was it was a riot. Well, especially when you're dealing with things like
0: the Borg and, and some of those, you know, those high-end concepts that the Trek was, was famous for. So when you're directing uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. then, uh, okay, so do we know, will we get the resolution this season, or is this something we're going to have to wait uh, you know, five years for, like, you
1: know, Lost. Oh, he, Tahiti, you mean? Yeah. That's a good question. That I don't know the answer to. Okay. I was just given a tease when I was trying to figure out what this, exactly what this scene was, was teeing up.
0: Well, I was and, wondering about uh, that, because as a director, do you, I mean, are you saying, okay, he's on the table, what am I doing? Why is he getting a massage?
1: You know? Yeah, so they, they were as vague as they could be, but if you look closely at the scene, there is a beaker on the table where you would find a glass. I'll give you that as a little Easter
0: egg Thank you very much Uh, Well, we appreciate that Let's see, we're getting a little bit of information here on Comic Book Central today There you go Well, okay, but this isn't the first time uh, you were in the Marvel Universe We're coming full circle here One of your early roles was as the Star-Spangled Avenger, Captain America
1: Wow, you've done a little research, haven't you?
0: Uh, well, it is Comic Book Central. That's what we do here. So <laughs> I would not be doing my duty if I uh, if I didn't.
1: Uh, you put the in the, the, 70s, the, in the late seventies. I used to go over to five seventy five Madison Avenue with my friend Charlie Davis, who played Spider Man. We'd sign out our costumes, including my garbage can lid shield <laughs> and plastic clip on Captain America wings, and we'd go to open comic book stores and 7-elevens in different parts of the great middle America and the White House we're, as well too, right? Well, the White House was the best of the gigs. That was the Rosalind and Amy Carter environmental lawn party. That's uh, Stan was there and, and, uh, the Hulk. And that was, that was the peak of the, of my Captain America experiences. The, um, 7-Elevens in Omaha were the, the the other end of the spectrum. That wasn't the <laughs> Riding the in on the family? front. Well, you ride in the, on the front of a rented tourist driven by a uh, Andy Frame rental security guard, <laughs> and you bounce up into this sad little parking lot with your garbage can lid held valiantly in front of you. are <laughs>
0: all though. As an actor, you got to commit, right?
1: You had to commit.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the great part is your face is covered. And the great part is we made 50 bucks a day. <laughs> what more can you want? You get to play cap and you get to make 50 bucks a day. You know, we spoke to uh, Marina Sirtis. She said that she and the rest of the cast teased you mercilessly regarding this captain America assignment. Uh, what did they do to you? On set?
1: She had no idea I played captain America. She was lying to you.
0: She, no, she absolutely didn't. Because I mentioned, I mentioned it to her in the interview and before I even said anything, she says, yep, he played captain America. She knew it before I even mentioned it. No, she didn't.
1: absolutely. Well, she was, she's an actress, man. She's an actress.
0: She well, then she's uh, then she definitely is a telepath.
1: Uh, well, that we know. <laughs> that I got to tell you is she's a telepath and a psychic and a beta zoid.
0: Oh, well, then, then she's that in real life. So, well, you're gonna have yeah. to listen to this episode of Comic Book Central to find out a little bit about that. So, but so they didn't. See, there was no teasing on the set about Captain America.
1: Not to my recollection. As Maybe Richard it was Nixon all behind your back. That would be even more attractive.
0: That that I can imagine. So uh well you know, you're from eastern Pennsylvania, I'm from Western Pennsylvania, beautiful state. You went to Penn State
1: uh originally. Do you get to go back there much? I do. My mom's still in Bethlehem, so I go see her a couple of times a year at least. I just oh. spoke to her on the phone this morning. Yeah. I it's uh it is a gorgeous state. Unfortunately, one man has single handedly taken down my alma mater in terms of our reputation.
0: Uh, yeah, Point unfortunately. Nine, well, what did you think about that when that whole thing was going down, I'm, just from I'm, your perspective?
1: I'm still reeling. With um, I used to be so proud to be from Penn State and so proud to have been uh, oh. able to do what I do and come from this big state school where my dad taught, where I was born, where my dad got his bachelor's, where I spent two of my high school years Everything about it was, I was, it was a source of pride for me, and, and that one day I've been apologizing since. So it's, uh, it, can, it gutted me. Can they bounce back? Not for generations, I don't think.
0: Yeah. What do you think people can do in that area uh, to sort of kind of bounce back from this or at least not feel so emotionally crushed by, by what's happened? Because obviously, as you said, this is going to take some time.
1: I'm not sure. I think it is uh I think time heals everything, but there's oh god, it's such a it's such a a raw and fraught and dangerous topic to discuss at any length. We don't know who's culpable. I certainly think that defending Joe Pa just because he was Joe Pa is nonsense. There's a uh, and the poor man's dead, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just, there was so much fallout in such a short period of time. Uh, it just seemed like everything collapsed and crumbled all at once, so, uh, yeah. Well, it did feel like an incredibly
1: uh, elaborate, either cover-up or turn the other cheek to something that's unspeakably heinous, so it, it's, uh, yeah, it really, it it, it, it guts me. A friend of mine that I went to Penn State with is uh, a lawyer who's working on the case who, who lives in Philly now, and we discuss it on a sort of regular basis and it, it it ruined you know it ruined our memory and and so we are two of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who were affected by this
0: yeah it's it just was unbelievable just kind of seeing all this take place, you know and again it just was such a short window that everything just collapsed so i think that's part of the problem too is that people just couldn't prepare themselves for it uh for the emotional aspect
1: of it but no. um like you said and also we- it's sullied the school is now sullied in the world, in the yeah. lexicon, it's like being a Muslim, you know. Well, it's a punchline. Muslim, some of the, you know, the Muslim radicals are a tiny little percent of them. Yeah. And and yeah it's, don't, it's don't unfortunate. Get, I, yeah, no, <laughs> it's we're getting
0: too, <laughs> getting too down here. But like you said, hopefully time will heal all wounds. Uh, and, uh, yeah, hopefully that'll be the case. But on to more pleasant matters. Uh, you've got one of the best Hollywood marriages around. How many years
1: now? We've been together for 28 years, married for 25 the lovely she's, Jeannie Francis. She's sitting outside having her coffee. Yeah, she's <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, lovely you, and talented Jeannie Francis. Where
0: did you first meet?
1: We met in a series called Bare Essence back in God, 82, something like that, which was a short-lived nighttime soap that she was starring in with Linda Evans and Ian McShane and Donna Mills and John Daner and there Boxleitner and... and Then it it was a miniseries, then it was a series on CBS, and then a few years later, the same producer cast us in the Civil War epic, North and South. Yeah, the miniseries. The miniseries, and that went on for the better part of a year. We were on the road, and during that year, I used to bring her Diet Cokes and flirt with her, and... Finally, she relented and allowed me to take her to dinner <laughs> you her down, in Charleston. Right? I did.
0: Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's incredible. What's what's the secret to uh, sustaining a marriage
1: in Hollywood? Jeannie was asked that question the other day on The View when she was uh, they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of General Hospital. So I'll, I'll steal her answer, which was, "You got to be willing to put up with a few shitty years." <laughs>
0: It's. I, I've always been told, you know, a successful marriage is the union of two forgivers. Oh man! You know, so I, I can totally understand that. Yeah, you. You've, look, you're going to hit some rough patches, right? Right. Are you married? I am. Yes. There you go. Coming up on twenty years, so yeah, it's you just can't you can't just cash in the chips when uh, when things get tough, uh, exactly. and that wasn't the only project that you got to uh, to star with her, uh, and this uh, something special to something near and dear to our hearts on Comic Book Central, Lois and Clark: The New Adventures of Superman.
1: Tim that and Amber, blast. Lake. we played we played the oh uh, uh, the Trumps, <laughs> basically, yeah, the evil the evil, yeah. The evil Trump family, who were we were buying up relics, as I recall. That was a, we had a wonderful time. Our our uh, son Jameson was practically a newborn, so he went to work with us. And I've done I've been able to work with her since we did Lois and Clark together. And we did this very interesting show on current TV called Bar Karma, which unfortunately no one ever saw. which she was fabulous in that I directed her in. Well, how how, how entertaining is that
0: to be able to to work? With your wife, and especially in a role like the one on Lois and Clark, where you are married on on the set, and then you're given so much scenery to chew at at the same time because these are like way over the top villains.
1: Oh my god! Big hair, big clothes, big big shoulder pads. Yeah, (laughs) big shoulder pads. Right.
0: (laughs) How fun was that? Because you you play. Just so our listeners know, if they haven't seen the episode, you play like, like as you mentioned the evil version of the Trumps, but you collect all these. Crazy things. Do you remember what some of the things were that you collected?
1: I know we had the Batmobile, and we were going for Superman's cape
0: at the moment. Yeah, there was uh, Jimmy Hoffa was in your collection. The Arms of Venus de Milo. Have you rewatched this episode? (laughs) The Magna Carta. Yes, I have, (laughs) in all fairness. Uh, But, yeah, and and you hired Bad Brain Johnson. You sprung sprung him from prison, and then uh, you killed him. Of course. Of course you did. You wiped him out. So this was actually a very cool episode of Lois and Clark because you had, like, all these spoofs. They, they were worried about being married or talking about marriage. So you had an I Love Lucy spoof. You had the James Bond spoof, the Dragnet spoof. So this was really – there's a ton of layers to this episode.
1: How, how yeah, fun was, was it for you guys? I'm actually going to work with uh, – I'm doing a show in February with Dean Cain again. Superman. Oh. Fantastic. That well that's Full one of the circle.
0: that's one of the standout episodes. So you guys have something to talk about there as well. So how fun was that to just work with Jeannie and just just go over the top with it? It was wonderful.
1: It was great to go to work together.
0: Anyway. One of your other projects, uh, famous to the, the comic book world, gargoyles. You got to do some voiceover acting with some of your Star Trek alum.
1: Some. It was like a <laughs> Star Trek reunion show. <laughs> it was.
0: Like everybody was on this thing.
1: I love Gargoyles. I think it might have been too smart for
0: television. Well, your character, uh, David Xanatos, he looks like you.
1: I know it. That was bizarre. When I first <laughs> got hired, they showed us the uh, the artwork, and it seemed somewhat ironic that he had a uh, a well trimmed beard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like the he's the CEO of his company, and he's I kind of picture him as like
1: a Lex Luthor. He was, that's what I was going to say. He's very Lex Luthor, very sort of evil, den of evil guy.
0: Yeah, but like well-trained, like martial arts, just like, I mean, you don't want to mess with him.
1: Not (laughs) Xanatos.
0: Did you get a chance to work directly with the other Star Trek actors, or were you just sort of off in a booth?
1: In in most cases on that show, we actually went to work together, where we'd sit in a semicircle and eat bagels, and the wonderful Jamie... uh, was our director, who does all the Disney movies, and it was um unlike Family Guy where we recorded our parts individually because we were spread out all over the world at that point there's something wonderful about being in the room with the actors that you're playing the scenes with. what does that do for your performance? well, you get to you know you get to do it like a radio play, sort of like you and I
0: there you go and, and you can kind of amp it up too do you I mean are you really getting into it and you know, arms flailing, and we, when we talked to oh, Maria yeah. Sirtis, she was like, well, you've you know. Seen,
1: you've seen all the uh, backstage stuff of, uh, of, you know, Robin Williams and John Lithgow, and you see how they behave. That's, right. that's exactly what it's like, as long as you don't rustle your clothes too much. <laughs> don't hit the mic, yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what advice do you have for people trying to
0: break into voiceover
1: acting? I'm still trying. <laughs> that's a great racket, and if I could do more of it, I would. Go to work in uh, sweats and T-shirt. and Oh, what a dream. What about the people in The Simpsons?
0: They've turned that into, yeah, a little enterprise there, haven't they? Wow.
4: Yes, and they get to
0: renegotiate all the time for to, to up their salaries, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I got a little bit of envy. You, yeah, well, you need to talk to Seth MacFarlane, I guess, get one of these uh, leads in an animated series, right? You got it. All right, Star Trek The Next Generation. Let's get to this. How did you land the part of Commander William Riker, one of the most iconic
1: characters in television history? Well, I've told this story many times. I auditioned seven times over a six week period. And uh, they finally relented after they decided they <laughs> weren't going to use uh, Billy Campbell, who I think was their front runner. And Roddenberry was. Uh, was amazing during that period. He took me under his wing as the great space bird of the galaxy and virtually convinced me that the 24th century would be a, a time of, of great hope and that Riker would be a leader in that period. And he, uh, he was inspirational in a way that many others have not been. So I was, uh, I was very fortunate to be in that place at that time.
0: Obviously, he was much more involved in the original Trek series and then probably the first couple of seasons of Next Generation. So how, how did he impact your performance as Riker, or did he impact
1: your performance as Riker? Well, I think he, he had a vision of Riker that was sadly not who I was. He wanted Riker to be very stoic. He always described him as having a non-smiling, Midwestern Gary Cooper carriage which was never part of uh, who I was. So gradually he let uh, Frakes play Riker instead of his (laughs) idea of who should play Riker.
0: How did your personality start to take over Riker's? Do you remember, was there just a a certain, was it a certain season? I remember very
1: specifically Morris Hurley, who was uh, Rick Berman's, one of Rick Berman's, exec producers in the early, I think it may have been during the first season, took me to lunch and took me to the racetrack and we talked and talked and talked. And from those meetings, he gleaned that I played the trombone, that I liked jazz. And gradually the elements that he saw in me, he wrote into Riker and the character became much more comfortable
0: how how was that for you as an actor to finally be able to bring some of yourself to the role because obviously those first seasons or the first season yeah it was very
1: straightforward very stiff very very stiff physically emotionally i mean we were all stiff because we not all of us are stiff i was stiff but we we were just finding out who we were in relation to each other as characters and in relation to each other as friends and in relation to each other as actors. So by the second, third season, we really found our legs. And, uh, and I think the show reflected it. I think the quality of the episodes, both in front of and behind the camera, they just got more and more interesting and more and more layered. And it was, it's like so many things. It was a matter of, of, uh, of being together and working together. We were also blessed, as you've heard, I'm sure, from everybody you've talked to from the show, that we were one of those groups that actually were like a family. We 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 not only worked eighty hours a week, we go to dinner together on Saturday and we go out on Friday nights, we stood up at each other's weddings, we we're godparents to each other's kids. We still see each other all the time. So it was um it was lightning in a bottle, as Loire used to say.
0: Did you get a sense when you first uh, got the role and the rest of the cast members as well? Did you feel that sort of over overwhelming sense of wow, we we got to pick up the ball and run with this? Or did you just approach it as, look, this is a gig. We we got to abandon all that and just and just go with it? Uh the second. We
1: we saw it as a it was just a gig. Uh, at least I I didn't have the only real trekkers on the show I think were Dorn and uh and Will. So The rest of us were kind of clueless as to the popular, cultural, iconic status that Star Trek had. I mean, we found out pretty fast that the audience, for instance, for the uh, classic Trek was very skeptical of our existence. And as a result, and paramount as well, there there were three contracts. We had a contract to do the pilot, a contract to do the first 13, and then if it should happen to go well, they would pick us up for a season and then beyond. So it was a, uh, it was a, a very interesting time. It was the first scripted television show ever made directly for syndication, so they had a, a cunning financial plan where they wouldn't take too bad a beating if it didn't work. It was, uh, you know, an Englishman playing a Frenchman <laughs> as opposed to uh, the swashbuckling uh, William Shatner. There was no Vulcans. It was it was a it was a risky risky business that they'd been trying to get Roddenberry to do for many, many years by all reports. And when he relented and wrote this show, he uh, and it was never a network show anyway. So it was he didn't want it to be on the network because he wanted to have a little more artistic freedom. It was an interesting time to be around and as I find out more and more about the uh what was going on in the administration part of of paramount it's uh the people were very clever how they how they controlled this show
0: do you think that was calculated too at the beginning to just make it completely different than the original series i mean obviously you had a couple of episodes that were similar similar in theme in the first season but do you think that was calculated right off the top that we've got to go in a completely different direction
1: absolutely i think that was a uh that was probably there in, Number one, if you pardon the expression.
0: (laughs) You mind if we do a little free association with some of your cast members?
1: Oh, of course.
0: (laughs) Of course you mind, or of course it's okay? No, of course I'd be happy (laughs) (laughs) Got to check that for a second there. All right, let's do a little free association. Uh, Will Wheaton.
1: Ah, the wonderful Will Wheaton. The character took a huge beating when he was uh, playing Wesley Crusher. And he is now, when we do our convention circuits, he is the spokesperson who is the most articulate about that period and the most emotionally connected and expresses himself the most clearly to the fans. I'm, um, I, I value him as a friend, and I'm a huge fan, and I wish I had his Twitter following. <laughs> <laughs> Denise Crosby. Pookie Yar. Denise Crosby stole my pink chenille bathrobe, which I wore to make a trailer for all of the first season. (laughs) And when she left the show, not only did our characters cry, but we all wept as well. She's one of my favorites and a great dancer.
0: Gates McFadden.
1: The brilliant and talented. I just saw Gates do a production of a show that Brent Spiner played Frank Sinatra in. Another wonderful dancer... And one of the most beautiful women in the planet. And a dear friend.
0: Michael Dorn.
1: Cha-ditch. My Klingon brother, who takes me out for vegan lunches every second week. (laughs) My partner in crime. And uh, one of my closest friends.
0: Uh, LeVar Burton.
1: Birdie is my ally. I have... uh, been through many, many, many events on and off camera with Lavar that I hold near and dear to my heart. He is. Uh, whenever we talk to each other, we call each other ally as well. So he's a, he's a very special man, as you probably have heard. Or have you talked to Lavar?
0: Not yet. No. Yeah, he would very much like to have him on the show,
1: though. Yeah, he's a. As we say, we like to cob we, we cobble together our careers now so that we have enough money to put our kids through college. <laughs> Brent Spiner uh, Data is my favorite Brent Spiner is Arguably one of the most talented And probably the funniest member Of our entire Company I have uh, Had the privilege of working with him On other shows as well And he he brings it to Whatever he does Brilliant singer Incredible intellect dry wit, worldly Renaissance man, and um, a sweetheart. You are also on his album, correct? A I little, did uh, musical sing on, uh, on, on Old Yellow Eyes' back. All, all the boys did.
0: So, yeah, again, once again, Commander Riker's musical talents on display. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Patrick Stewart. Uh, I just sent him an email. He opens tonight. On Broadway with Sir McCallum. So I tweeted out and then I sent him an email. I talked to him last week. He and I, from the moment we met, he felt like a big brother to me. We started talking about cricket and baseball, and he, I was just at his wedding as well. Um, I adore him. I mean, his talent is unquestionable, but his, his heart is even bigger. And also a wicked sense of humor that uh, some people don't get to
0: see. What's going on with him these days? There's, like, these videos being posted, and he's just, like, becoming a little kid he's again. Wild. He's wild. Have you talked he's to 72.
1: him about it? <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: yeah what do you, uh, like, just what's
1: up? He's living the life. He's 72 going on 30. <laughs> and he is, uh, he's... He's doing um, Pinter's No Man's Land and uh, Beckett's Godot on Broadway with Sir Ian McKellen. He's married to this wonderful Sonny Ozil, who's a singer from Brooklyn. He's physically in his prime. He's doing great. Do you
0: think he and uh, Ian McKellen are becoming the the modern-day odd couple, it seems like? (laughs) They're everywhere these
1: days. It certainly feels that way. I gather the uh, Godot that they did on the West End was was described as the best of the century or maybe the wow. best ever. So I'm glad to see that they're revisiting that. And and uh McKellen performed the wedding ceremony at, at Patrick and Sonny's wedding oh. last month. I'd love to today. see them as the odd couple. That would actually be kind of a cool gig. Yeah, they could reverse roles night after night.
0: Right, right. Yeah, well yeah, there's a lot of actors that do that. that just kind of yeah. keep it fresh. So yeah, that'd be that would be very cool. Um ah finally, Marina Sirtis.
1: Oh, my anxiety. She was the glue. She was the, um, she's a dear friend of my wife's as well, so we still see quite a bit of her. She's the soul. She's a lot like Counselor Troy, and I spend a lot of time at the conventions with her. We always go on stage together. She's one of my dearest friends and one of our dearest family friends and uh, incredibly underused talent in terms of uh, other work, but I think she's—I mean, she's the head of the Hasad on the NCIS as we speak. But she's got a, a very deep and generous soul.
0: I'd love to see the Rikers. I, I, you know, I mentioned it to her. Well, but we've I said, been I pitching the Rikers I, in
3: space
1: for about fifteen years at the conventions. I said, "Have you, you ever hit hour, JJ Abrams pounds.
0: up with it?" She says, nah, we you know, we haven't done that." But uh, you never know. A little ancillary
1: Star Trek project. I think it would be brilliant. CBS, unfortunately, who owns Star Trek now, is not interested in any Star Trek television projects, is what I've been told.
0: Well, there's always those rumors going around. Since the the movies are kind of blowing up on the big screen now, there's like, hey, can we do this on television again? There's always things that are kicked around. Star Trek Titan is always brought up, uh, some of these different things. I mean,
1: Well, I tried to take a project to Paramount, and they said, listen, we've already turned down uh, Brian Singer and William Shatner, so don't waste your time. (laughs) So it's... uh... Unless things have changed, I think they have rethought the, uh, what do we call that, the business plan that buried us originally where Paramount's greed. Too many uh, shows. Oh, please. Voyager, Enterprise, <laughs> Nemesis, two movies coming out when there's already television on the air. It was just ludicrous. And then they shut down. J.J. takes the reins. And opens huge, and then repeats it with another fantastic movie. So, I think they have, uh, in terms of business, I think they're doing it the right way. It well, but, unfortunately, they, cuts us out of television.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, all those projects though did give you an opportunity to direct a little bit more and to feature Commander Riker in, in a couple different series, though. So, I think are you the next to Major Barrett, the 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 actor that's been on the most series with Star Trek? I think Armin and myself. Hey, you were on all of them. Uh, obviously, not the original series, but you were on all of them. And you got to, a chance to direct. How, how did you... When did you first get the directing bug on Star Trek? When did you first get... Oh, very I, early I got, you on, on when
1: I found myself sitting around in my little room waiting. I realized that uh, I needed to be a little more active than this. And the opportunity was so clearly teed up by virtue of being on a, on a show... That we we used to do 26 episodes a year, which nobody does anymore. So we were around directors and around the show for over 10 months of the year.
0: How tough is that and to direct yourself in the scenes? So we've talked about this with some actors who are also directors as well. How do you turn one brain off and turn the other one on at the same
1: time? It's easier if it's a part that you've been playing. I'm, by the time Berman finally relented and let me have an episode, I've been playing Riker for three years. So... I was pretty familiar, pretty comfortable in his clothes. Uh, To direct yourself in a new project is, I think, daunting. To direct yourself in a character that you are comfortable with, and if you have people around me that you trusted, I had Patrick and LeVar, and when I was doing the movies, I'd look over the camera at Matt Leonetti. There were certain people who I would make eye contact with after a take, and they would let me know if they thought, I needed to go again, or if I thought I had it, if I was, if I questioned it, I would just immediately go and do another take. But there were, there were always, um, litmus tests on the set that I could, uh, access and, uh, use as a taste meter.
0: Favorite episodes, favorite guest stars
1: that you had over the years? Best of both worlds. I think was the best television that we made, that cliffhanger that carried over, I think, between seasons three and four. Um, oh, you had the greatest, uh, greatest ending on a cliffhanger, Riker. Oh, fire! Uh, I had that uh,
0: shot too. The angle.
1: Yeah, it was, it was spectacular. Give me a break. Um, That's I have a real lovely. soft spot for um, <laughs> the offspring, which is the first one that I directed, in which Brent built his daughter, the beautiful Hallie Todd. As long. Um, we'd be crazy not to mention Delancey, who was a huge part of the Star Trek family and probably our greatest nemesis and not really a guest star more of a more of a recurring regular
0: was there ever a thought and to bring Armin. him
1: was there ever a thought Armin to and and Column and yeah there was it was a very special place to be
0: was there ever a thought to bring the character of q onto the big screen because I movie-
1: when yeah. I was involved with the movie franchise I I thought that, that was a kind of a no-brainer and paramount didn't think that the scale of his villainy was big enough for the movies, if I recall correctly, what their excuse for—I mean, obviously the Borg were a wonderful, wonderful uh, villain, but the—for instance, the story in, in *Insurrection* certainly could have used a cue somewhere in the mix. Yeah, I always
0: thought that that was a character that was just begging for life on a big screen because it just yeah. the scope of what he could accomplish is incredible. Uh, we we talked about this, you and I, off air, uh You and I first met. Uh, I'm sure it's completely locked into your memory banks at this point. Uh, back in Schwab Pennsylvania. Auditorium,
1: Penn State University, <laughs> Concert for Peace, 1994? You
0: remember, you
3: remember.
1: You were a young pup from the Johnstown television station doing an interview. Oh. With sh- shaking with your mic. You had your <laughs> Star Trek action figure with you. I signed it with a sharpie, and you still have it on your shelf.
0: Yes, th- those are all true. You remember? I know. You think about this every day, of course. <laughs> <laughs> People listening right now are like, "Did he really remember?" Wow, that's incredible. Uh, you know what? In all I came up to you in full nerd gear, and you know, I apologize for that. <laughs> so many years ago, I had the shirt on. Uh, but you know, what was funny about that was you looked at, it and you were like, "Oh, you got a Star Trek shirt on," and you're like, "Oh, that's from one of the features." Complete tongue in cheek. I had a, my Star Trek six shirt on. I didn't have a Next Generation shirt on. What's interesting is now you're, you have two of those features directed on your resume. Oh, unbelievable. At that time, did you even think, or was that a plan at the time to just, you know, i love to just take the reins and direct this cast on the big screen?
1: It was a dream, but I didn't think it was a dream that would come true. I mean, I assumed that when we went to the features that they'd bring in, well, I mean, to be honest, they offered the movies to big A-list feature action adventure directors who didn't want to do Star Trek 8 or whatever that was. So when it got down to the the b list, I was able to throw my own hat in the ring, and Sherry Lansing, who ran Paramount at the time, allegedly said to Berman, who was producing the films as well as the TV show, he said, you know, you get who you want to have to do it, and it, it, uh, it worked out.
0: Oh, you knocked it out of the park. I mean, that was, uh, I think... Well, it was, you know... Next to Star Trek IV, the was biggest so brilliant. one.
1: Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was it was my job to keep it on course. The script was spectacular for First Contact.
0: Did you know at the time you were making it, because you, obviously you've got Zephyr Cochrane, Cochran, you've got the Borg, you've got the first solo adventures of the Next Generation crew. Did you guys kind of know when you were putting this together that, hey, this is probably going
1: to be pretty big? Yes, that I can say. We knew that was a great movie that was ours to not screw up. And then when we were lucky enough to get Alfred Woodard and Jamie Cromwell and Alice Krieger, it was just, it, it took it to another level.
0: Nerves come in with, uh, taking the, the feature reins at that time, or were you just so comfortable and relaxed with this crew that you were like, like <sighs> uh,
1: both, both actually. <laughs> Did the nerves serve to help you? I think they always do. Uh, my, my daughter just was doing uh, Midsummer Night's Dream and she was playing Helena and she said I'm nervous and I said well if you're not nervous and it's you know something's not right it's it's part of the it's part of the package how
0: did the cast respond to your
1: direction do you feel I think there was a shorthand that we had I mean once they you know they took the tips out of me when I started directing the episodes and they were hysterical you know but that's just because we're that's how we treated each other <laughs> But by the time we had done a lot of these together, I think, without sounding too arrogant, I think they I think they trusted me.
0: Did you get advice from any of the other directors? Like Leonard Nimoy
1: had directed... Actually, I did get pages. very good advice from Nimoy, who was uh, very helpful to me. And Bob Justman, who was one of the producers from the original show, who was on our show as well, always said... You never go on the set without your shot list. And I thought, what a great piece of advice. <laughs> and to this day, before I go to bed, I have my little shot list written out. I put it on my call sheet. I put it on my script. And when I get up at 5 or 6 or whatever in the morning, I go in. I always think, yep, if all else fails, I've got my shot list. Well, it's a grocery list. I mean, you don't want to forget anything. Exactly. What advice did Nimoy give you? Nimoy said, always... Stay on the story. Don't forget the emotional beats in the story. Don't get caught up in the visual effects. And it's very, very true. I mean, his was one of my favorites. The one about the woman with the whales in San Francisco, I thought, was one of the great Star Trek movies.
0: Well, you see, you take that advice because there's a scene in First Contact where uh, zephron Cochran's getting drunk. Uh, Marina Sirtis is there as, as Troy. And you've got She's this great scene it, where you scene. walk up. I mean, how awesome was that? And then that look you make. At the end of the, <laughs> it's just. That was a simple and wonderful scene. But but it's a perfect beat for the movie. In, in this special effects-filled extravaganza, those are the moments I think that that live on. Well, that that
1: and the scene with uh, Alfrey and Patrick in the uh, yeah, in the conference room where yeah. he breaks the and you know his little ships. <laughs> it's it's those the acting moments were the ones that certainly I remember the most fondly as opposed to the visual effects, with the exception, of course, of the brilliant John Knoll and the visual effect of uh, Alice Krieger connecting her spine to her rest <laughs> of her body. That is a crazy scene.
0: That That is a a crazy scene. Uh, It's a perfect movie. It's a perfect movie, so good on you. Uh, Very good job on that. What advice do you have for actors who find themselves in these genre roles uh, that are kind of worried about typecasting? You easily could have been pigeonholed into this uh, and have been Commander Riker for the rest of your life. Have been. Not could have been,
1: have been. Do you feel that you've been typecast? I don't feel I've been typecast. I have been typecast. I can't get a job as an actor. I'm very (laughs) thankful to have learned another craft.
0: Well, that's what I was getting at, was that is that, how, how do you kind of, is that well, the advice another that you thing to... said
1: was, it's better, it's better to be typecast than not to be cast at all. <laughs> because, uh, you know, Patrick's an exception. Patrick has certainly never stopped. Shatner's an exception, but...
0: What's the secret? Does Patrick tell you what, what he's done, or is it just, hey, no, well, whatever Patrick happens?
1: Had, Patrick was Patrick before the card, yeah. and... He was determined to continue his stage work, and that has led to uh, yeah, and to another franchise. I mean, he's, a, he's got the X, X-Men franchise. Yeah. So maybe that's one of the reasons Patrick's making those YouTube videos. <laughs> 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 he's a happy man.
0: Well, you're, uh, you're directing Marvel projects. He's starring in Marvel projects. Is that a possibility down the road that you might be able to direct your, your former castmate in one of these I Marvel films? It. What, what would you pick? The, the,
1: Why don't you put that out in the ether?
0: It's out there. It's out there right very now. Good. So, w- I mean, there's a ton of Marvel projects. The whole universe is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is coming up. What What would you like to take on? Would you hey, Captain America three? You could
1: come full circle. I would love to do Captain America. There's a new one coming out. I think in February. When's the next Captain yep, America? Yep, new one coming
0: out? out. New one coming out in the spring, and then we. I'm sure yeah. we've got. I'm sure he signed for a trilogy, so I'm sure we've got another one coming up. Wh- which Marvel? Or, or DC, you know, we got Man of Steel. We got all these things coming up. What What would you like to just direct or have a role in, or any? Wh- which one stands out for you?
1: I'd like to do a small indie in Paris where people smoke cigarettes and drive cars. And you don't flex. want
0: the big production, <laughs> just a small I, indie film. Yeah.
1: Can you arrange that?
0: Ah uh, well, sure, but I'd I'd love to see you take on take on one of these Marvel projects. I think you would bring a uh, I think you would bring a depth to it that um, you know might be lacking in some comic book films.
1: I'm developing a wonderful action fantasy trilogy called The that ironically named Christopher Pike from his novels that we're developing with Weta with Peter Jackson's company with Sir Richard Taylor wow. and. Uh, those would be
0: huge. What's your role? Are you writing it? Or are you planning on directing and no, producing?
1: Okay, I'm directing with uh, a producer named Rudy Longley who did uh, Hurricane. Well, what are some of the other
0: projects you got coming? First of all, when can we when can we see that project or that series of projects?
1: That is something that we've been. I've been on it for three or four years. We keep going back and forth to New Zealand and trying to find a way to make the budget work. And but that's you know that wants to be. Harry Potter and Twilight, and it wants to be a, a, a franchise for that uh, tween audience. It's fantasy, it's adventure, it's heartfelt, it's, 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 it's a beautiful series of, of books that we're hoping to get off the ground. The stuff I'm in the middle of now, I just finished um, shooting Falling Skies, which is on TNT, Spielberg's sort of post-apocalyptic show that Noah Wiley stars in.
0: You also worked with him on the uh, the Librarian movies as well.
1: Yes, a little a of uh, little
0: Indiana Jones feel. So you've got that going for you.
3: Yeah,
1: I love. And actually, we're talking about
0: another series of those. We're going to see more so, Librarians. Uh, yeah, I think those are great. Do you, have you ever seen those movies? I have. I've seen them all. Well, I'm a huge. The other podcast I am on is the the IndieCast. So it's an Indiana Jones podcast. So we're oh, anything yeah. that's even close to that genre. We
1: love. Well, Noah always describes the Librarian as. His role in the librarian as Indiana Jones, if played by Don Knotts. <laughs>
0: That's a perfect way to describe it, too. Yeah, and the great an Bob actor. Newhart is on there.
1: Oh, the wonderful Bob Newhart. Oh.
0: You, the feel, you got a chance better. to work
1: with some of the legends. That that show, had it was Noah Wiley, Bob Newhart, Jane Curtin, and Olympia Dukakis. Those are the four <laughs> regulars on the librarian shows. How great is
0: that? I know. Just bizarre. I'm so lucky. That's a pretty well, yeah, that's what I say, you know, you, people might think of you as Riker, but man, you've just turned this into this amazing career. And that's kind of what I was referring to earlier is that that that's an option that's available for actors today uh, to do these kind of things. But I think you you've got the chops to be able to, to pull that off. And I think you were able to to get a lot of that by working with some of the heavyweights. So that's amazing. What, what are some of the other projects you've got coming
1: up? I go to work as soon as we got off the phone. I was going to say, we
0: interrupted you from directing today. What what are you (laughs) heading
1: out to? I was editing yesterday on Falling Skies. Today I started a series called uh, Switched at Birth, which is an ABC family show. Then I go back to NCIS LA, hoping to get another castle in this season.
0: That's right, the castle
1: episode, the Star Trek-themed castle episode you did. Oh, that was fabulous. Nathan Fillion's sort of a member of the... And Stonicotic from Librarian. Yep. See, the world is very small.
0: It's, it's a very small world in Hollywood. Any more castles coming? You said uh, you've got another castle coming up?
1: I don't. I'm waiting to hear. There's a couple of slots left, and I'm hoping to get back on at the end of this season.
0: Okay, so hopefully another castle, hopefully another Marvel uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. you got uh, it, would man. Be coming up. This would be great. So um, how can fans find out more about you? Websites, appearances, projects? I, usually, I keep them
1: posted on my uh, on my Twitter feed, on Jonathan S. Frakes, and um, that's it. I don't really have a Facebook. Or a... They can follow you. You obviously know what the hell's going on. <laughs> you keep me posted. I'll keep them posted.
0: Fair enough. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be your I'll be your marketing agent here. Uh, well, uh, well, we're looking forward to to all these uh, projects. I'd love, you know, we'd all love to see you. In the Star Trek universe again, hopefully, maybe a cameo in a JJ J. Abrams film or JJ uh, Abrams' J. I, I wonder film.
1: if he'll ever if he'll let the uh, next gen. It's in the same universe. The it is in the same universe, and I think the uh, certainly the opportunities there. I'd be very curious to see. Yeah, uh, uh, no conversations about
0: it. that. Has anybody hinted? Maybe a couple of cameos. We see Nimoy popping up all the time. Well,
1: yeah, we we always hint and we always hope. So we'll see what happens. Keep us posted. We'll let
0: people know in Comic Book Central. So, well, we hope to see you in that universe, the Marvel universe, or even in that little independent universe that you're longing to, <laughs> the, the cigarette-smoking individuals in France. So, Jonathan Frakes, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us here on Comic Book Central today.
1: The pleasure's mine. Well done, man.
0: See, Jonathan, I told you Marina knew you were Captain America. I wonder what the crew did have to say about Jonathan in the red, white, and blue tights. Oh, well, another conversation for another day. Big thanks again to Marina Certis and Jonathan Frakes for joining me on the show. As I mentioned earlier, the interview with Marina was recorded at the Still City Con in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. The next show is coming up April 11th through the 14th. This time around... You guessed it, special guest Jonathan Frakes will be attending. So go meet him, talk Trek, talk Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., get your Riker action figure signed. I highly recommend it. To find out more, check out SteelCityCon.com. And for the latest on Marina or Jonathan, check out their Twitter pages. For Marina, it's at Marina underscore Sirtis. And for Jonathan, it's at Jonathan S. Frakes. Next week on Comic Book Central, hey, since we're talking Thor crossovers on S.H.I.E.L.D., What do you say we chat with someone from the realm of Asgard? Special guest Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Lady Sif will be here to talk about her role in the Marvel Universe. She is an incredible woman and she recently did something quite unique to help out some amazing kids. We'll talk about that. Trust me, you don't want to miss this episode. And be sure to check out all the episodes of Comic Book Central. Stan Lee, the Superman 75th celebration with folks from Superman the movie, Smallville, Lois and Clark. They're all online. ComicBookCentral.net or subscribe on iTunes. Post a review. I want to know what you think of the show. And thanks to everybody for getting the word out. Facebook Nation. Like and share the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Network. Retweet me on the Twitter, at comicbookctrl. And be sure to drop me a line, joe, at comicbookcentral.net. Well, that's it for today. Trekkers, Trekkies, comic book fans, everyone out there on the interwebby, thanks for checking in. Next week, Jamie Alexander will cross the Rainbow Bridge of Asgard to talk about Thor. Until then, keep reading those comics, and thanks for joining me here in the lair. Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. This podcast is intended for entertainment and education purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Comic Book Central and is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0 unported license. All other content and names are registered trademarks and copyrights of their respective holders. Uh, No way. Yeah.
1: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.